0: Okay, I've got time to get started. If we can get those back doors closed, we'll get everybody in. Just a note. Uh, somebody said there's a maroon pickup truck outside with the light on the inside. I don't know how good your battery is. If you've left the light on the inside, you might as well turn it off. If it's yours. Tonight's going to be our last night in this semester. We will start a new semester. I think it's uh, last Wednesday in January, I do believe. And I will say that I have finally uh, come to a conclusion of what I'm going to talk about. Uh, there will be 12 weeks in that semester, and I've decided to take uh, the book of Revelation and break it into 12 sections and talk about 12 topics. And uh, about a little over a year ago, I did a sermon series that had some of this in it, but I've decided to reconfigure it in a teaching format. And the reason is this. Revelation is the only book in the Bible that promises a blessing just to read it. And most people won't read it because they don't know the characters, how they fit. If I could teach you how the characters fit, you would read the book and understand it. So here are the 12 pictures. Now, later I'll publish it. Number one, the first session will be the church, then the martyrs under the altar, then the 144 Jewish witnesses, and then the two witnesses, and then the dragon, and then the beast that comes out of the sea, the Antichrist, the beast that comes out of the earth, the false prophet, the day. What I like to call it, the day that everything changes when Jesus stands on Mount of Olives. The King, a reference to his millennial reign. Judgment, what happens after the thousand year millennial reign of Christ, the great white throne judgment. Hail, and heaven. There you go. What a storyline. That'll preach. Twelve sessions. Book of Revelation. We'll start them. And I'll just tell you in advance, if Jesus comes between now and the end of January, all this is canceled, you can go see firsthand what all these things are. Okay? You don't have to watch the movie. You will not have to get the book. Go see yourself. Well, here we are on the last night, our last chapter in 2 Corinthians. If you have been here all 12 of these weeks, you have read every... You have heard every verse of this book read LL." If I missed it, it was an accident. If you've been here through First and Second Corinthians, you have heard and studied one of the major teachings of the Apostle Paul, one of the major teachings of the Apostle Paul for the church. It's powerful. One of these days, it's really going to matter. It matters right now. It's really going to matter one of these days. So I'm going to pray one more time. Father? I ask you to open our minds to understand the scriptures. That's why we're here. Because to know the scriptures is to know the Son, and to know the Son is to know the Father, and to know the Father's eternal life. So, Father, tonight I ask you in Jesus' name, open our minds to understand the scriptures. Amen. Paul begins with a warning to the church to be ready and live ready. He begins tonight, this last chapter, with a warning. Now, before I read it to you, let me ask you, do you enjoy it when somebody just kind of gets up in your face and warns you about something? When they do it rough ass like that? Shake their head? Here we go, verse 1. This is the third time I am coming to visit you. And as the Scriptures say, the facts of every case must establish must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, why is he bringing that up? Because if you're going to give a judgment, then you've got to have facts to base the judgment on. And those facts must be established by more than one person speaking. Two or three witnesses. And then he says this, I have already warned those who have been sinning. So he knows what he knows to be true. There is sin in the church at Corinth. I had already warned those who have been sinning when I was there the second visit. This is the third one he's about to make. Now I again warn them, two warnings, and all others just as I did before, that the next time I will not spare them. What's he going to do? You know, don't make me come back there. Don't make me come down there. That's what he's saying. He's giving them a warning. Is he giving them a warning because he's a mean, angry old man? Or is he giving them a warning out of love? See, I think it's a warning of love. What's the warning? Stop sinning. Church, stop sinning. This message is clear, and do not listen to false teachings about the issue of sin. The church is to be pure and faithful to the bridegroom. Stop sinning. Yes, there is grace, and yes, His grace is sufficient enough, but grace is not a license to sin. Let me put it like this. I believe that when you come to Christ, when you legitimately come to Christ, you've been born again of the water and born again of the Spirit— The Holy Spirit moves inside of you. He takes up residence in a temple. The temple doesn't happen to be in Jerusalem this time. It's here. It's your temple. He lives inside of you, moves inside of you. Grace is powerful because grace is the inhabitation of God in your life. The very fact that he moved into you is grace. But here's the second part. Grace is power. Grace isn't just that he came. Grace is that he came and he's willing to transform you from the inside out. He's willing. He has the power. Grace forgives sin, but grace is powerful enough to overcome sin too. A lot of people view grace as this, God's undeserved favor to forgive sins. It's true, it is. But there's a second part to grace. His undeserved favor to overcome sin to overcome it. Not just to forgive it so you can go get it again and forgive it so you can go get it again and forgive it so you can go get it again and forgive it so you can go get it again. That's not grace. Who told you that was grace? It's not. Grace is powerful. And what's what's Paul he writes this letter, I'm giving you a warning, stop sinning. And he says I warn you and all others, just as I did before, the next time I will, not spare, I will not spare you. Does he have authority to talk like this? Yeah, he does. Should you listen to him? See, I believe that he speaks with the power of the Holy Spirit. He speaks with the power of Christ himself. Not I don't pay attention. I want to pause in that because here, here's why. Some of you, I'm, I'm, I, when I was going over this this afternoon again, I thought, you know what, if I was on the outside listening to me, I would think, well, you're really hung up on this topic. And, and I am. You know why? I see this to be the number one battle in church today. This issue right here. This is it. So yeah, I'm going to focus on it. Yeah, I am. This idea that grace is a license to sin, that grace is a, a, a get-out-of-jail-free card, that you just carry in your wallet all the time. Anytime you want, just whoop it out. You know, I'm going to do what I want to. I got a card. I'll just do what I want to. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Who told you that? Now, let's go over to the book of Jude. I want to read it to you. And I'm going to connect myself to Jude right now. Here we go. Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write you about the salvation we all share. You know what? I'd like to talk about that too. I'd like to talk about something else. There's a whole lot of things I'd like to get real deep on. I had planned, eagerly planned to write to you about the salvation we share, but now I find that I must write about something else. Urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to God's holy people. Defend the faith. Do you believe, church, I'm looking at you, do you believe that your calling is to defend the faith? My calling is to defend the faith. Somebody sent me an email recently, said this in regard to that. You don't have, uh, uh, um, a lion, you don't have to defend the faith of a lion. A lion doesn't have to defend his faith. Just turn him loose. I don't have to defend The faith of a lion. Just turn him loose. He'll defend himself. The word of God, just turn it loose. Just turn it loose. It'll defend itself. But what happens to the church is that we're closing up the book and talking about everything except that. The other day I was going through this uh, um, website. There's a church we're looking at going for a conference and I wanted to hear what the preacher talks about. And... uh, Everybody's talking about everything except the Bible. Everybody's talking about everything except the Bible. Why don't you just talk about the Bible? Just read the Bible. So here's what he says I say this, verse 4, because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. Is this real today? You could have wrote this yesterday. Some ungodly people have wormed their way into churches with a doctrine. And the doctrine is that God's grace allows you to live an immoral life. That the moral code of God is gone. Who told you that? You didn't get that from the book of Jude. Let's keep going. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt. Who rescued Israel from Egypt? Jesus. The one who was and is and is to come. The Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, you know that one. He rescued Israel from Egypt. But then later... Come on. But later, he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. He rescued them and then he destroyed them. Is that what you thought grace was?